Welcome to the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Brenninger, and on this episode, we're going to be exploring the tormented artist territory on Prince's Beautiful Ones, which is third track from the Purple Rain album. Returning to join me on the show to help guide through these emotionally fraught lyrics, <laughs> and Leslie Ballard. Welcome back, Leslie. Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. So we last talked in the 1999 album. We did um, All the Critics Love You in New York, which yes. is a, a great song, a lot of interesting lyrics. But now that, that didn't really have a lot to do with relationships or have a lot of deep emotion going on in that song. So this is a very different song for you and I to talk about. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, The Beautiful Ones is just kind of one of those one of those songs that it's like a power ballad in many ways, but it's not like the power ballads that you're used to hearing from the 80s by rock bands. It's a very, um, I call almost like an electronic rock ballad in some ways. But just because of the way the song starts, you know, it has those discordant synth stabs at the beginning that kind of make it sound like there's a computer malfunctioning and it starts that way and it ends that way and in between you've got like this roller coaster of emotion going on and uh, prince sings the song in much of his falsetto like he does for a lot of his early ballads that's kind of like the way he went to his his vocal range for ballads was the falsetto but it's not done entirely in falsetto so it, it really kind of borrows a lot of different elements of, of Prince's um, vocal abilities from falsetto to regular, you know, singing to speaking. You know, he has a section where he speaks things. And of course, you've got his his screams at the end his, that are probably maybe the most memorable part of the song. So for you, Leslie, let me ask you this. Let's take a step back. The Beautiful Ones off Purple Rain, when did you first hear it? Did you first hear it off the record? Did you first hear it as part of the movie? What was your relationship in beginning with this song? So Purple Rain, the film and uh, the album came out when I was, I think, about five years old, something like that. And so uh, I heard the album at that time. Um, my mom had it. You know, it was on the turntable frequently. Um, however, the time that I remember really hearing it for the first time, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. um, was in high school. I had sort of rediscovered Prince, you know, 13 years later, however long that was. And I remember distinctly, uh, my dad had this awesome stereo system in the basement, these huge, you know, JBL speakers, and it was perfect. And I remember sitting down in the basement, uh, really close up to the turntable and putting that on, and listening to Purple Rain, and then I heard, I truly heard the beautiful ones for the first time and got it. Um, You know, I was full of high school angst and unrequited love, and I was like, oh, he gets me, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And and it, it, uh, from that moment, became my favorite Prince song and still is. It may be my favorite song, period. Um, It's definitely top three, a top three song, but it is absolutely my favorite Prince song. For, For a song that was never a single, it is, I would say, probably one of the more heralded Prince songs mm-hmm. in his discography from the standpoint of a non-single track. And I think, you know, I mean, that has a lot to do with, with the enormity of the Purple Rain album and how big it was. But also, it, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very intense song. And not all ballads can say that. I mean, some people don't like ballads because they tend to be a little slow. Or, you know, they may be 
it's hard to relate to the to the feelings that the person is trying to convey in the song if they're not personally you know in love at the time or haven't experienced that sort of love or loss or whatever but the beautiful ones even if you have never experienced that level of intensity of emotion from losing someone i think the way prince delivers the lyrics and and delivers the song you know vocally and just sonically as well it makes it i feel like it makes it more universal like it's he he expresses it in in a very primal way that people can relate to that that's kind of my feeling of why i think the song is so so popular and like i said well well um revered in the in the prince discography i agree i think that um you know, obviously we're here today to discuss the lyrics, but the combination of the lyrics and the composition and arrangement was, to me, an absolute masterpiece. It's, like you said, the it's an emotional build. I've heard it said before, and I agree, that this song is similar to sex. You know, there's foreplay, a build of intensity, there's a climax, and then he's breathless at the end. And it's absolute perfection to me. And not to not to leave out, I think it's one of the best screams he ever did on recording. Fantastic. Yeah, it, and that was an enormity in, in terms of like its impact on me was the end because I first heard the song when I was nine and I was much too young to really get. Like you mm-hmm. said, like, when you finally got it, you were in high school. Well, I certainly didn't get it either when I was nine. But one of the things that really stuck with me listening to the song as somebody much younger and didn't really know what he was trying to say with the song's lyrics was how he ended it how it just as you mentioned just built built and built in intensity until it he lets it all out at the end and you just feel it building you know you just feel it throughout the song how it how it starts so kind of calmly and and very pretty and as the the song continues on it's he gets more intense with his with his delivery and you know it's coming you know it's building to this moment but when the first time you hear it you really don't know how far he's going to take it until you finally get there. Um, Cause I didn't hear, I didn't see the movie for two or three years after I heard the album, just because, you know, it was rated R and right. I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies when I was nine or 10. Uh, I managed to sneak a, a, a viewing of purple rain on a friend's HBO when his parents were at home when I was probably too young. But uh, you know, for the most part though, I, the song stuck with me because of, because not because of the visuals of the film, which are cool, and I'll, I'll maybe mention that here in a second, but how the song was delivered. I had never heard, you know, anybody go there vocally like the way Prince did in this song. I really hadn't. I had been listening to basically just pop radio up to that point, and nobody was screaming like this on pop radio. Let's just right. be honest. Nobody was doing that. Um, it's It's a very polarizing, in many ways, way to deliver lyrics, but... Um, it, it it totally worked for the song for me. And I remembered it and I liked it. I didn't I wasn't turned off by it. Some people are turned off by it, which I don't get personally, but for me it was a turn on. Absolutely. Yeah. It you know, I saw an article one time that was basically, you know, Prince's Screams ranked, uh, like a listicle. And uh I was upset because if I remember correctly, this one was not the number one one and I'm maybe I'm biased, but I think it should be. <laughs> It should be at least number two, if not number yeah, one. Yeah. It's got to be in the top two. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, I was going to say in the movie, just because people who are listening to this podcast, you know, if you're Prince fans, you know, for the most part, 
his films, and especially Purple Rain, if you don't know any of other, his other films. Just as a, a reminder, a gentle reminder, he's singing this song, of course, to Apollonia in the film as she's sitting with, with Morris. So I guess at this point in the movie, Morris and Apollonia are sitting together. He's trying to, to recruit her for his girl group. And they've had a couple of, of encounters, Prince and Apollonia, the kid and Apollonia at this point. And he's, he's frustrated because he thought that, you know, they, they had a connection and they were maybe building something. And then he sees her sitting with his bitter rival in the club. And that, that really, that really pisses him off. <laughs> I mean, no, no other way to say it, it pisses him off. And, it, and he's trying to basically tell her, you know, you've got to choose, man. You've got to choose between him, this, this, this flashy dude with, that's offering this, this, you know, very important and maybe potentially life-changing opportunity or choose me who I can maybe do the same thing for you, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to flash that in front of you like a golden ticket, you know, I like how it's delivered. And you said at the end of the song, he's, he's panting like post-orgasmic panting. And yeah, he's delivered so much of his emotion in this song that by the end of the scene, he's laying on the, on the floor, on the stage, sweaty and panting as if he just had sex. I think that, that this scene is some of Apollonia's best acting in the film too, even though she doesn't say anything, the, the mm-hmm. looks on her face. Uh, I think she did a really good job here. Uh, responding yeah, yeah. to what what she was seeing on stage, right? Because because at first she's kind of like, oh, this is sweet. I think this song might be about me. And, and then as he gets more intense, she's like, oh no, <laughs> this guy is <laughs> this guy's really got it in for me, and I I I just can't deal with this right now. He's asking me to choose right here in front of all these people, basically. I think it's interesting that this uh, this song replaced Electric Intercourse on the soundtrack. And, you know, looking back on it, especially with Apollonia as the female lead, I can't imagine Electric Intercourse being this song in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't have fit. I can't imagine the film without it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's an important part for the film, for sure. It kind of pushes that plot point forward about the, the rivalry and, and have, forcing Ap- Apollonia to basically choose, in some ways, love or money. You know, I mean, that's... A cliche and it was also a title of a Prince song but it's kind of what she's being asked to do in some ways right with this with this choice because Morse is offering her this opportunity and Prince isn't hasn't done that you know he's not like saying come join my band he's never said that he's he's offering her potentially true love so she has to kind of choose and and it's it's a tough choice when you know at, at this point in the movie those two Apollonia and the kid They've had a couple of really strong instances where they connected, but it's not like they've been together a very long time at all. Right. So to ask her to choose that at that point, it would it'd be tough, absolutely tough. And it was, and that's how she was able to convey that um, the kind of shock and and surprise at being you know kind of forced and called out in front of a, a club full of people to do that. Well, and it wasn't just any guy that she was sitting there with. Yeah. You know, it, it was his absolute rival in the film. The song has a obviously a very passionate feel, but there are parts that it's angry, you, you know, and, and he's calling out, like, how could you do that, essentially? Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, also notable to bring up that this is uh, just one of three songs from the Purple Rain soundtrack that Prince recorded entirely by himself. There were no other contributions from members of the revolution when recording this song, as there was on most of the others. 
it wasn't one of the songs that he performed live at first avenue and recorded like most of side two you know he didn't have the big band feel like let's go crazy it's it's a very intimate song it was this song darling nikki and when doves cry were were entirely recorded by prince by himself up to this point i feel like a lot of his most emotional songs and most vulnerable songs he's in some ways had to do when he's alone i think it's maybe hard for him it'd be hard for for most people i would imagine to to get this level of intensity and and to be able to deliver this level of emotion without it feeling a little self-conscious or you know whatever you might feel when you're trying to really put it out there and to and to deliver that it might have been easier for him to deliver this kind of performance by himself definitely um, i think i read a, a quote or heard it in an interview somewhere that bobby z said you know, that's what happens when you give Prince 24 hours by himself. You get the beautiful ones. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, he, he was known, he was not only known to record, you know, his lyrics sitting down, which I can't imagine getting that scream out sitting or lying down, but he, he did it a lot. But alone. And, you know, Peggy McCreary, if I'm remembering back to Dwayne Tudal's book, um, Peggy McCreary was talking about, he'd often ask the engineer to leave the room while he was doing his vocals. It's a very, and I don't know the reasoning behind it. He, he may have been shy. It may have been just too intimate or, you know, who knows, but, you know, she would talk about in, in an interview that was quoted in, in Dwayne's book as, you know, it'd be like four o'clock in the morning and she'd hear the scream and stomping coming from the, the studio. And, and uh, that's what he was doing is putting out a masterpiece like this. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, to be to be kind of in that um, periphery of of Prince when he was recording these songs would have been, I mean, you don't really know when you're in the moment, I'm sure, but then looking back on, it's like holy shit, <laughs> I was there when the beautiful ones was being recorded. That 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 must have been pretty intense. If I had a time machine, I would go back to what was it, September twentieth, nineteen eighty three? I think this was recorded. I would love to have been there for sure. Um, one one other thing I wanted to kind of bring up and talk about, I mean, we can always talk about it as we go along as well, but I'll bring it up now before we get diving into the lyrics is the um, the kind of who is this song about? Is this song about anybody, the origin behind the song? Because I think, and I think a lot of us, we try to we try to put Prince's lyrics in like context of what's going on in his life at the time, or maybe... You know, what's what is his motivation? You know, does does he have a muse? Was there some sort of inspiration for the lyrics to a particular song? Or was there a moment in his life that drove him to write these these songs and these lyrics? And so The Beautiful Ones has been one of those songs, I think, where it's been speculated about quite often who is this song about? And I'm sure that Leslie, you're being that you're such a big fan of the song, you know the stories that have been out there for years about who the song might have been about based off of some people's opinions. Do you know these stories, Leslie? Yes. Um, I think there are kind of three opinions on this one, um, or three, um, not three people's opinions, but three people or situations that it that it could have been about. Yeah. Um, one of them that you know the most popular. The one everyone has heard for years is that it was about Susanna Melvoin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, Peggy McCreary, um, David Leonard, 
Susan Rogers, a lot of people who were around at the time were, you know, observing that this was the period of time that Prince was falling in love with Susanna, um, and that it seemed to be obvious to them that it was about her. Many at the time also, especially if you look at the fact that it was written to replace Electric Intercourse, and the whole reason they needed Electric Intercourse replaced is because Vanity left, Denise left. You know, a lot of people speculate, oh, was this about her? Um, was this about her departure and his, because um, he, you know, had a relationship with her at the time as well. You know, it's obvious this was written for the film. Um, you know, I, I needed a specific song for a specific, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh-huh. specific purpose in the film. And, you know, I wrote it about that. And, you know, and he even, I think you're right. I think I, I do recall someone mentioning that in one of the piano and microphone ones that, uh, you know, he alluded to the fact that it was more, you know, vanity in general. But, you know, I, I don't. That was also after she had passed, too. So, right. Yeah. That was in the forefront it, of his mind. And and this may sound like, you know, sacrilege in the purple world, but I don't always even put like a lot of stock in what he said about what things were about, because I don't think very few songs, I think, were about one person at one particular time. Like, I'm sure he he drew from many inspirations at a given time to, you know, come up with a certain composition. So it could have been about both Susanna and Vanity or any number of women exactly. or experiences in his past, uh, is my opinion on it. Yeah, I, you you basically echoed exactly what I was thinking. And like, why does it have to be just one? You know, right. why does it have to be for the movie only or for Vanity only or for Susanna only? Why couldn't it have been kind of a, you know, a combination of of all of those things that were happening at the same time? Like Vanity just left him. Um, Susanna, he just met Susanna and he was, you know, falling in love with her, but she was with somebody else. So he's trying to convince her to to pick him. Oh, by the way, he, there's this love triangle in this film he's making, <laughs> and, right? And it needs and it needs some lyrics for a very intense moment in the movie where he's confronting her about picking him or the, his rival. So it it could be all three, and just because he says at the end, you know, in 2016 after after Denise Matthews passed, that this song is for her doesn't mean that in September of 1983 that was his only inspiration. It just means right. at that point in his life, you know, he was really thinking about, you know, his time with with her and you know how things ended and very sad, you know. I mean, it, her, her death affected him from what I read Absolutely. very deeply. So, yeah, it makes sense that he would dedicate a song that probably had, you know, was thinking about her at the time he was writing it to her after she had passed it makes complete sense but also yeah hey i needed a song like this for the movie so here you go (laughs) right you know i I think even susanna said at one point like the lyrics don't exactly match our relationship you Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think we both are on the same page that inspirations come and go they can be they can be plentiful they can they can be multifaceted Okay, um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it is a it is kind of an important part, the lore behind the song, and being that it's such a an important song in his his career, the lore has kind of been out there for years. So I, I just wanted to address it for a little bit before we get started. To kick off the song, Prince is singing in his his sweet falsetto voice. You know, it's it's you, you're thinking you're just going to get a nice little ballad. I mean, yeah, it starts off differently than most ballads with. With I already mentioned those um, those synth stabs and the way it kind of comes in like a computer, like just being loaded up, you know. I like how it begins. It, it kind of throws you off a bit. 
baby, baby. What's it gonna be? Baby, baby, baby. Is it him or is it me? Don't make me waste my time. Don't make me lose my mind, baby. So that's the first verse. Um, and he's really just asking a bunch of questions at this point, just kind of trying to put it out there, you know, what that he's already in kind of a situation in this relationship where he's confused, you know, and maybe a little bit uh, uncertain where he stands in this relationship. It's not your typical beginning to to a ballad, really, just because of the way he asks questions and they're all all of a sudden he's he's putting it out there right away that he's he's feeling really kind of concerned about his place. Is that kind of what you get from the first verse, Leslie? Yeah, it's always struck me that he doesn't begin this one with, you know, flattery and, oh, I love you so much, you're so beautiful, whatever. It's straight to the point, choose, from the very first sentence. <laughs> yeah, what's it going to um, be? <laughs> yeah, and that's super bold. But yeah, I, I read the, read and heard the same thing in, in this first verse. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because Purple Rain is is, the album is like a story in many ways. I mean, it obviously it's a soundtrack to a film, which is of course a story. So it makes sense. This is kind of a story album, but if you're looking at it as a story, you just had take me with you was the song before this. And as, as I discussed with, with Julian long in the last episode with take about take me with you, that song is, is all about kind of like the newness of a relationship and, feeling each other out and having that infatuation with somebody when you're you know instantly attracted and then to go from from that to now all of a sudden you know you're in in a phase of the relationship where you have to ask these questions these tough questions right um, and you're feeling like maybe that infatuation is is still there but but now there's some sort of doubt there's like some doubt that's been added to the equation and we know from the film that doubt is more stay. But when you're listening to the song, it's not really it's not really conveyed exactly what's going on. You just you just know that he's asking this woman to make a choice. Is it him or is it me? Right. And he's just all torn up about it because he's feeling like potentially he's wasting his time on her if she's not going to ultimately pick him. Uh, he doesn't want to waste any more time on her because it's too painful, I guess. I mean, that's how I kind of take it. It's too painful to keep chasing after somebody who hasn't made a definitive choice. Right. Um, waste his time in that sense and potentially, uh, you know, waste his time that could be spent on his music. Yeah. You know, in the film, he, he's trying to, you know, fend off these other bands that are, you know, usurping his position in this club and his rise to stardom or whatever he's going for. In a relationship could be a distraction to that, especially if it's one that's not going to be reciprocated. Yeah, and for somebody as professional and career-focused as, as Prince was...
Okay, so then the second verse is really just kind of a continuation of the first verse. There's really no, there's just a very small break in between these verses. It doesn't do a chorus. He just continues on in the same in the same vein with the questions. Baby, 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 can't you stay with me tonight? Oh, baby, 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 don't my kisses please you right? You were so hard to find. The beautiful ones, they hurt you every time. So I really like the line, you were so hard to find. This is my favorite line in this section of the song. Yeah. Because for me, I just, I like how, what that says about this. It really tells us, the listener, that this woman is special. I mean, we, we never really got the impression through watching the f- film, if this is, you know, intended to be kind of sung by the kid, that he really had a hard time finding sex or, you know, finding one night stands or even just casual relationships. Tell, tell somebody you were so hard to find implies that he's been he's been playing the game for a while and he's just never connected with anybody. It's never been about that. It's never been this deep. And to finally find somebody that he feels like potentially could be the one, capital letters, the one, is is a big deal. And say and to say you were so hard to find kind of says a lot to me. It says a lot about what he's been up against to this point as a potential, you know, budding rock star groupies and and women that maybe didn't have his best interests at heart, or maybe he was just using them in return. I kind of, uh, I love that line as well. I, I hear it um, more combined with uh, don't my kisses please you right. And then the beautiful ones, they hurt you every time because he's basically saying to me, you know, in the line, don't my kisses please you right. Like, am I not enough for you? Am I not good enough? You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's almost like looking for like, what have I done to deserve this? Am I, you know, like I said, am I, am I not enough for you? And then into, okay, if I'm not enough for you, like, gosh, you know, you were, like you said, so hard to find. I, I looked everywhere. I went through X, Y, and Z just to find you. And then the last line, he's like almost resigned to it. Like, you know, well, they hurt you every time. She hasn't even answered the question yet. And he's already saying, well, you know, the beautiful ones hurt you every time. Yeah, there's a lot of self-doubt in the second verse with, you know, bringing up the lines, don't you, don't my kisses please you right, as you mentioned, tells us that he's a little, uh, he's feeling a little self-doubt about him being enough for her, which right. makes sense because he's asking her to choose. So obviously she's had some, she's had some uh, conflict as well between Prince, the kid, and his rival, you know, his rival for her affections. And yeah, to say the beautiful ones that hurt you every time does does kind of it is kind of a, a sign of resignation almost. It kind of brings some sadness to it as well. Like he's mm-hmm. already considering this a lost relationship in some ways. You know that another thing that's always been interesting to me about this verse when he says the beautiful ones they hurt you every time. I think he was a beautiful one, and there are people in his life that would say, yeah, that was true about him. That's always struck me. Paint a perfect picture. Bring to life a vision in one's mind. The beautiful ones always smash the picture. 
So he, up to this point, he's been singing very kind of dramatically with his kind of fluttery vocal style in the beginning. You know, you have the, you have the gothic sounds of the synths going on. It, it, it's a very dramatic song uh, musically, and we already talked about what makes it dramatic from a from a performance, from a vocal performance standpoint. But the sounds from the song almost come across like like a, a Shakespearean tragedy in some ways <laughs> with <laughs> with multiple acts, the way it just kind of goes on and on. And the begin the, like these first two verses to me are like act one, but then the song moves on to what I consider like almost like the next act, which is the part where he has this uh, spoken section, spoken word section. And the lines here are paint a perfect picture, bring to life a vision in one's mind. The beautiful ones always smash the picture, always, every time. But what do you what do you like about this section, Leslie? Um, everything. My goodness, where to start? Um, <laughs> Easy answer, everything. Yeah, you know, paint a perfect picture. You know, he's saying, you know, you, you can conjure up the image of perfection, the perfect relationship, the perfect situation, the perfect person. You create it. You bring color to it, you manifest it, and then, of course, I guess it's inevitable that it's going to be a beautiful one in that picture, right? But the irony of it is that the very one that you painted into the picture, the perfect one, the beautiful one, will destroy that creation. And and he's saying, you know, it's it happens every time. Uh, there there are no exceptions to it. And you know, I I read between the lines here that. You know, he was saying, I was hopeful that you would be the exception, but apparently not. Because this mm-hmm. is the second time in just a few seconds that he said, you know, the beautiful ones hurt you. They smash the picture. They destroy the perfect picture, etc. Yeah, the perfect picture. What I've always kind of taken from paint the perfect picture, bring to life a vision in one's mind. I, I always kind of envision Prince thinking of, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road and having that vision in one's mind about how you want that relationship that you're so intensely involved in to look like as you as you age. And and does that mean kids? For some, yes. For some others, no. Does that mean, you know, just having that, you know, holding hands, being 50, 60 years old and still holding hands, still being deeply in love with that person? And that's a picture I think a lot of people would, you know, when you start a relationship, if you see them that way, if you see them as potential life mates, you want to grow old with them, right? I mean, that's that's the goal for, for many of us that engage in a relationship. You want to grow old with your partner. And for me, I've always looked at it like that. Like he's painting mm-hmm. a perfect picture in his mind of how this relationship is going to evolve over time and they're going to stay together forever and it's going to be one of those amazing lifelong love affairs and it's 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 almost like he's self uh self-sabotaging in some ways by not having you know the foresight to think that this could really be a reality she's just one of the beautiful ones and the beautiful ones it just doesn't work out you know i i have to i have to pick somebody else because this person's just too good for me in some ways 
Yeah, he hasn't yet built his confidence in the song. Um, later on, we'll get to it. He he uh, he gets bolder and bolder, you know, the further it goes. But he's still, like you said, in that kind of self-doubt mode. So then after this, this spoken word section of the song, he goes back to singing. And he's still in his falsetto. But the music now starts to get a little... Uh, off kilter. I don't really know how to describe it best, but up to this point, it's been pretty standard piano and it's very pretty. But now when he sings these next, this next section of lines, this next verse, you, you hear the music starting to kind of, I don't know, dissolve a bit. And, and it feels like it's out of tune, like he's playing out of tune in some ways. I don't know. I do this all the time with songs, especially with Prince, is I have like these, I have visions in my mind about, you know, just like um, things that just come up. Like I mentioned the, the picture of him and his, you know, his mate in a, in a, in a long-term relationship and how he's envisioning that. And I also mentioned like the Shakespearean tragedy thing, but I also get vibes of like Phantom of the Opera type <laughs> vibes mm-hmm. going on with this song. And I think it's because of like its gothic sound and its dark sound. I almost get like a vibe of of Prince like holed up in his studio. He's been jilted and he's feeling angry. He's starting to get angrier and angrier as the song he's goes. Pacing. Up. Yeah. Yes, he's pacing back and forth and he's slamming his fingers down on the keyboards and it's making these odd sounds. And you know, he's just working himself up into a frenzy over this over this song and over this woman. That he's singing about and, and it, i just get like really dark it's like the st- song starts to get darker in my mind uh, whether it, or not it does in everybody else's i don't know but it gets darker and darker no i i can see that um the other thing you know looking at your theatrical example you know if i were to um make a music video of this or or make a, a one-act play based on the lyrics of the song you know in the beginning I can picture him and this woman, you know, sitting there having a conversation and he's quietly just saying, you know, what's it going to be like making her, you know, whatever, asking her Mm -hmm. to choose. And then this verse in my mind is when he stands up, he gets more desperate. He's getting more like intense about the questioning. You know, what if I told you I was in love with you? Not that I love you. Uh, To me, that's a good distinction too. In this verse, he said, he clearly says in love with you. Uh-huh. And then he starts going, okay, what if we got married? Like, it's like he's he's reaching for anything that she would go, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's the thing that's going to do it. So to me, this is the, you know, like I said, he stands up, maybe he starts pacing. That's the image that I have in my mind of uh, of this verse and of, and of the trajectory over the first part of the song. Yeah, yeah, because the lines are, if I told you, baby, that I was in love with you, oh, baby, 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 if we got married, wouldn't that be cool? The fact that he's not, I mean, he's still asking questions, but they're kind of like, they're rhetorical questions, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's not asking her to choose anymore. He's he's proposing these different scenarios. And as you mentioned, are these things that he thinks she wants to hear that's going to 
put him over the top. I, I can't remember at which point it, it happens in the movie if the question has already been asked, but there's a part in this movie where, in the movie where his dad asks him, you know, you, you got a girlfriend? And he says, yeah. And he says, you're going to get married? And he goes, I don't know. And then his dad says, don't ever get married. You know, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what order, it, if this song has already happened yet or, or what happened in the movie, but um, I always think about that part, you know, when, when I hear that, that lyric in the song. Yeah. Yeah, no, good point. Forgot about that line. But he, he def, definitely starts to come across more desperate to me. Um, in both of our examples, like if we're visualizing the lyrics, that desperation comes through. The line, <laughs> you know, you make me so confused. It, it conveys that he perceives that she's sending mixed messages, mixed signals. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're, we were just together, like you said earlier, you know, they've already had a couple of really intense encounters and, you know, we can read between the lines. They can't show everything, of course, in the film, but, you know, we can assume that they've been building something together. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, you know, and I come out and there you are sitting with Morris, like, what's up with that? <laughs> um, you know, you're so confusing. And again, he ends this verse with a, a line of resignation. Well, you know, the beautiful ones, you always seem to lose. They smash the picture. They, you know, they hurt you every time. He's ending ending a verse again on kind of a, a down note. Yeah. You make me so confused. The beautiful ones you always seem to lose. So the beautiful ones hurt you every time. They always smash the picture and you always seem to lose them. That doesn't really bode well for potential beautiful ones if if they, if they all end in, in so much negativity um, in, in prince's mind or at least you know in the the kid's mind that singing the song he's he needs to um find a different style of woman i guess <laughs> if this is how it's going to end in his mind every single time but what's interesting about it is after saying all that like this point in the song is when he doubles down on but it's you right like it's almost like, I know you're going to hurt me. I know this is going to end in disaster, but I got to have you anyway. Oh, uh, what's, what is it when you choose the person that's wrong for you all the time? Because you, <laughs> you're just, that's who you're attracted to. Right. Uh, I feel like that's a thing where people are just bad at choosing partners because they're attracted to the wrong type for them. I always kind of wonder also because, and I know it's just a movie, you know, but, um, what what were the revolution? What was the kid going to sing if he had not seen Apollonia sitting at that table with Morris? Was this going to just mm. be your standard love song that was going to be all sweet and syrupy? And he took it a different place because of what he saw in the club? I know, that's overthinking it because <laughs> clearly the song was written with the intent of the scene in mind. Yeah, I, I haven't. I don't think I ever thought of that, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think in, in the film, he already knew about, obviously, her um, interactions with Morris and and all of that. So, to me, like, maybe the song was planned, but his delivery is what changed when he saw her. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Again, it's, it's all speculation. We'll never know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's neither here nor there. There was There is no alternate version of the beautiful ones that we're aware of that is that doesn't go to this this level of intensity. It doesn't uh, have like this alternate universe where Prince it's a longer version, but not an alternate version, right? Right, exactly. So now at this point, uh, you get more of the kind of the the musical aspects of it that start to go down this this darker path, and the song structure starts to fall apart a little bit. 
And also, this is about this part of the song where he brings in a guitar. Like, the guitar had not really made much of an appearance in this song up to this point. It's been really all piano and synthesizer and, and drum machine. But he he brings in the guitar towards the end of the song to amp up the intensity, to amp up the sound, and to really accentuate some of these lines. So I'm going to read them, and uh, I think, you know, we all have heard the song and we know how they're delivered and so me reading them is going to be pretty different than what what it's going to sound like when he sings them but i'll oh I'll come on them. go for it no <laughs> <laughs> it's a flat no leslie i'm not gonna do that hard pass <laughs> hard pass what's it gonna be baby do you want me? him or do you want me because i want you said i want you tell me babe do you want me i gotta know i gotta know do you want me Listen to me. I may not know where I'm going, babe. I said, I may not know what I need. One thing, one thing's for certain, babe. I know what I want, yeah. And if it please you, baby, please you, baby. A begging down on my knees. I want you. Yes, I do. Baby, 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 I want you. Yes, I do. So that's how he ends the song with a with a whole mess of basically statements, questions, comments. I mean, it's it's everything. He's he's really letting it all out at this point. He repeats the ultimatum that he's giving her: "Do you want him or do you want me?" And he puts it out there. He's not asking just because he he's hoping for an answer. He's asking because it's it's time. <laughs> it's time to get to the bottom of this. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through each line, but I mean, overall, like kind of what are what are your thoughts about how he I mean, the lines themselves are one thing, but also the delivery is another. Do you have any um, kind of feelings about this in terms of what he's saying first, I guess? The the part that I get drawn to in this section, and we, we alluded to it a little bit a few minutes ago when we were talking about the previous verse is. When he says, uh, you know, I may not know where I'm going, I may not know what I need, but one thing's for certain, I know what I want. You know, he's like, I don't necessarily have plans beyond tomorrow, and maybe you're not good for me, but I want you. And, you know, making that extremely clear. Um, the other thing that, that I see about these, I mean, this is this is a climax, obviously, right? He's mm-hmm. He's been, you know, pacing, and then then he starts pleading, and then he's just... Like you said, he puts it all out there. He's screaming. He's 
physically, if you watch, you know, the film, he's putting everything he's got into this, you know, the guitar, the vocal, everything. It's just, you know, he had been at a, at a low simmer and now everything's just boiling over. And yeah, like a volcano. Yeah. He's like, I got, I got nothing left. This is everything. This is all of who I am. This is everything I've got. Take it or leave it. Tell me right now. What's your answer? Yeah, and it's scary. It's a scary um, outburst of emotion, for sure, if you're on the receiving end of it, I would imagine. And it's scary for the person doing it, too. It's, you know, extremely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting everything out there, um, leaving no doubt. You know, he's metaphorically naked, right? Standing there like, this is everything I've got. And if she says no, that's going to be the ultimate rejection. Yeah, super scary, right? Because how do you yeah. how do you come back from this? Right. If you're if you're a prince, if you're the kid, and you're putting this out there to her, how do you come back from it if if you don't get the answer you want? You know, and she does the right thing in the in the movie by just leaving and letting him cool down, <laughs> <laughs> literally and figuratively cool down, and she's not prepared to give him an answer like that. You know, right. I, I can imagine a lot of people that may, if they were put in this position, you don't necessarily always want to go with your gut if you're making a, an enormous decision about choosing somebody over another. So just getting up and leaving and letting letting the emotion kind of settle before you answer is probably the best choice that Lapalonia could have made in the film. And for Prince, yeah, I, I think if I recall correctly, the scene after this is when she um, meets him in the alley as mm-hmm. he's getting on his motorcycle, right? Is that right? Yeah, I think he goes and like goes down the hall, struts around like angry, yeah. yep. <laughs> right? And yep. then goes outside. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, the sequence. In the movie, she chooses him in way, <laughs> but you know, I mean, if we're just talking about this song in in just like its little box and not and not looking at it as a part of a, you know, a 90 minute plot of a film that has to have lots of different roller coaster relationship, which is ultimately what they have throughout the film. If we're just looking at it as the song, this is the moment that backing the person against the wall, really. Uh, and they're both emotionally naked, the deliverer much more so than the receiver, but the receiver now has to, has to make a decision and it needs to be, sooner rather than later like you can't deliver this message in this way and expect an answer in a week you know it's right just, it doesn't work that way and he goes back in this verse to the uh the tactic that we saw earlier where he's like you know if i told you i was in love with you um if we got married like he's naming off things like what if i did this and this one he's run out of ideas and he's basically like okay if it'll make you happy i'll get down on my knees and beg like i have nothing else what, what can i do you know asking her for for ideas and he's just he's run out of them yeah it's super intense and you're right like what did he think she was going to do was she going to stand up in the club and be like i choose you and everybody would cheer like what you know what what was the image in his mind that was going to occur there right right that's that's asking a lot (laughs) right it's asking a lot i think he probably knew like if we're trying to get into the mind of the kid in delivering the song he probably knew that he was asking a lot and he wasn't necessarily expecting an immediate answer, but he had to, he just had to, he couldn't keep it in any longer. He had to put it out there because he felt 
so strongly for her in such a short amount of time that and and also i mean i'm sorry sitting with with his bitter rival was <laughs> was really the catalyst i imagine of how this song was delivered in this way i mean he's not happy about that at all in this in this movie not one bit well and you know back in the 80s no one used the term extra right but prince was probably the most extra of extra people right <laughs> that, that we right. that we've ever encountered and and this is uh classic prince slash the kid grand gesture um you know this is probably one of the princiest things that prince could have done as the kid is is this scene to me yeah yeah this one and darling nikki are the two most extra of of his performances in the movie this is this is a highlight of the film you know like the performance aspects of the film for, for many people um because well i mean it's just an amazing song and so that that's a lot of it but performance and delivery is is just as important for this one this song has been covered a number of times i think mariah carey probably has the most famous cover of this song i don't know if you you agree (laughs) with that or not yeah famous not not good but (laughs) right but uh, i'll leave it at that (laughs) Exactly. She's the most famous person that has covered this song. And it's so frustrating. I mean, just because I'm a huge you know, fan of Prince and, of course, of this song and his version of this song. But there are people out there that prefer Mariah's version, believe it or not, because they don't like the intensity of how he delivers this ending. They don't like the screaming. They think that her version is prettier or more classically... Um, beautiful the song to them is is ugly in ways because of how how where it goes with the with the guitar and his screams and and uh i'm sorry but without that this song is just another ordinary song i mean it's a good song because of the music and it'll never not be good because of the music but without all the extra stuff that prince does to this song it's not what it what it could have been it's it's just another glove song. It's just another um, choose me or him song, right? For me, at yeah, least. yeah, I totally agree. I mean, anyone. I mean, and I, I'm a Mariah fan. I got nothing against her, but um, if anyone thinks that version is better, to me, they don't get it. Right. You know, they, they don't get the point of the song. It wasn't intended to be pretty, and the love that he's describing is ugly in a way. You know, as you put it, it it's it's messy and it's challenging and it's confrontational and it's any number of things you could say. Um, the the one cover or the one person that I've heard cover it that I really respect is Bilal. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, I got to see him perform it live at city winery here in Nashville. I want to say it was like maybe a year after Prince passed. It wasn't immediately after. And uh, I actually have a little like, cell phone recording of it and he he really did it justice and it seems like he was on one of the televised tributes performing it as well like one of the early ones um but he he does a really good job I mean, his vocal style is is well suited to it and i think he you know he conveys the emotion as best that i think anyone could who isn't prince yeah i'm not gonna say that i've heard every single cover of this song by every artist who's ever done it so i'm sure that there are versions out there that are that stand up on their own and and do a a very solid job of recreating you know the emotion and the feeling of this song 
as it was intended. Um, so that's, I mean, that's great to hear because, you know, otherwise I would have just made assumptions that nobody has ever come close <laughs> to creating, right. recreating this feeling for this song. So glad you brought that up. Somebody asked me a question on, or not just me, they had, you know, one of those questions that people pose on Facebook recently and said, you know, name a song that absolutely makes the scene in the movie that it was in, right? So people were talking about various things and, you know, different soundtracks and whatever. And this was my answer. You know, the the pairing of the moment and this song in the film Purple Rain were perfect to me. Anybody from the outside would think like, oh, well, the climax of the film, Purple Rain, that would be like the most memorable performance of a song in this movie, right? I mean, for me, it's third. Right. <laughs> I like I like the performance of this, number one. I really like the performance of Darling Nikki in the film. And then Purple Rain. Right? And then Purple Rain is my third favorite. Um, and that's just, you know, personal opinion. But uh, I really, you know, the t- two songs that were never, never singles... I think uh, the way he performs them on stage, and and I think I also like just because it's they're they're so out there in what in where they're going. Like in, in the beautiful ones, he's so intense and in trying to convey like this utter desperation and and complete res- resignation to this this woman and needing and demanding an answer. And then in Darling Nikki. I really enjoy uh, just kind of how nasty he gets with it. Right. You know? I really, yeah. I mean, he's, he's trying to embarrass her. Uh, he's, he's going there in a different way, in a completely different way. So, so, I mean, Apollonia is an amazing muse for this, for the kid in this movie, because his best performances <laughs> are basically him singing a song to her, as opposed to like, let's go crazy or, you know, baby, I'm a star where, it's more about just I'm performing to the crowd. He's performing these songs to her. And that's where like his best performances in the film come across for me. I do think it's odd. Like, isn't this like the third track on the album? Yes. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a weird placement to me. And, you know, Dwayne Tudal goes into some of that, you know, the different versions and how they were arranged. And then he would pick a different order. But it's always seemed strange to me that, that this song would be track three. You feel like it should be later on? Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it just speaks to the roller coaster of their relationship in the film because they're just so up and down in that movie. You know, for every step forward, they take two steps back. You know, like they have this moment and then she chooses him and the, he takes her away on the motorcycle and they knock Morris over into, you know, boxes in the alley. <laughs> but then he, she grabs like her liquor bottle and... You know, he knocks it out of her hand, and he's about to hit her as she, as he has her pinned down on the ground. It's like, oh man, <laughs> right? Why are you gonna... taking these two steps back for every <laughs> positive moment they have? And so, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a pretty early in the film or in the in the soundtrack, I should say, to be including such an emotional song. But yeah, I guess it matches kind of the way the the film conveys their relationship as being so volatile. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, Leslie, and I'll I'll bring up mine first, because this song is you know so important to you, and it is one of your all-time favorite Prince songs, and it is one of mine as well. Like for me, this song has multiple times where it kind of gives me goosebumps. You know, when you're listening to it, and you just there's nothing you can do to prevent it; it just happens as soon as you hear this. 
for me, the moment that gives me goosebumps every time, regardless, is when he sings. Okay, so it's before the, the climax. It's after he sings a section about if we got married, wouldn't that be cool? And then he says, you make me so confused. The beautiful ones you always seem to lose. And the way that he sings. vocal the- goes up, yeah. can listen to the way he sings that without getting goosebumps. Is there a moment for you in this song that does something similar? Uh, that one, uh, and then the other one, well, I think everyone loves the part where he says, what's it going to be, baby? Do you want him or do you want me? Because I want you. And then he does the point, right? Like that one is, yeah. I think a lot of people would say that. But for me, the the one that really gets me is the whole section of, uh, I may not know where I'm going, may not know what I need. And when he says, uh, if it please you, baby, please you, baby, I'm begging down on my knees. I want you. Yes, I do. Like that part. I mean, it takes my breath away even just sitting here talking about it. Um, that's the part in the song for me that does that. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that part just as well. And I think that if there was a, a second place for <laughs> giving goosebumps, <laughs> it would be that section. I really like the clarity that he has. And I may not know where I'm going. I may not know what I need. One thing's for certain, baby. I really love how clear he is in his message there. Because up to this point, he's he's asking a lot of questions and they seem kind of like scatterbrained with this and proposing marriage and what if i say i love you and i'm so confused but here it's like it's very he's making a very clear point and it's concise and it tells a lot to me it's like he just had a moment of clarity as he's singing these lines in the song and if that's too scary if that's not good enough if she wants somebody with more stability i.e morris day and his girl group idea then he, she has to make that choice he's not going to pretend like he's got all the answers just to win her over it reminds me of back in school when you were taught to write an essay and, and you write your you know your thesis statement in the beginning and then you elucidate your points right and then mm-hmm. you come back to let me restate my thesis he very clearly restates his thesis at the end of this you know this is what i'm getting at this is the point now it's in your court yeah and he leaves it in her court panting and sweating on the floor (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's the visual image we get the song didn't get an official video but if it was it would have been taken from the film and that's how it would have ended which is a perfect ending for the song if you're thinking of it visually right and the part two where austin where he's saying you know begging down on my knees like it's screamed and you know, I've talked to some people over the years who were like, oh, I didn't realize that's what he was saying. Because, you know, he's screaming and you can't yeah. can't always understand it. And it reminds me a lot of the part in Darling Nikki where he screams, you know, your dirty little prince want to grind, 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 grind. A yeah. lot of people don't realize that line is there either for the same reason. But once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And, you know, that's my favorite line in Darling Nikki. And this is my favorite line in The Beautiful Ones. But what's even cool about that 
to expand on that point about not really always understanding what he was saying when he was screaming at the end of the song is it didn't really matter. Right. I mean, you know, the, the intent wasn't lessened because you didn't understand exactly that he was saying, I'm begging down on my knees. You know, he was saying something, you know, he was saying something. And the fact that he had to scream it in this manner to get his point across is really enough. I think. And for a lot of people, and once you know what he says, great. You never, like you said, you're never going to unhear it. But it never lessened my enjoyment of the song when I didn't know what he was saying when I was much younger. Didn't think, right. okay, well, I got to dismiss that because I have no idea what he said. Nope, it made no difference. It had the same impact on me. As if Clearly, I something important and intense. Yeah, no something very important. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we—that is the end of the lyrics to the beautiful ones. I think at this point, I'm going to ask you, Leslie, if you have any final thoughts on the song. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up about the song that we haven't touched on already? The only other thing I can think of that I wanted to mention is that um, within the purple community, there seems to be this recently, and maybe it's always been there, this, well, you know, I wish people would stop talking about purple rain so much, like we're purple rained out. And one of the things that, that I think about with this song is sometimes I wish it wasn't on purple rain for that reason. I do see that as well sometimes, and and I get where they're going with it. They're just hoping that other parts of his his career and other um, eras of his music get as much shine as Purple Rain, and I and I totally understand that because he he was making music for decades and decades. But yeah, this song on a different album that wasn't that people didn't have so much fatigue from. <laughs> right. I think it would it would it would have been and should be considered one of the one of the all time best songs he's ever made. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, Leslie, for joining me on this episode. Do you want to tell listeners where they can maybe get a hold of you if they wanted to say hi or check you out? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, my uh, handle is Malenga, M-A-L-E-N-G-A. On Instagram, I am Shockadelica underscore T-N for Tennessee. And uh, I don't know if I'm searchable on Facebook, but if you can find me, I'm listed under Leslie Schaefer Ballard. My maiden name is in the middle there. I'm always happy to connect with Purple Fam. All right. Well, I'm always happy to have you on. You, a wealth of Prince knowledge and, <laughs> you know, a, a great guest overall. So thank you very much, Leslie, for joining me today. Thank you, Jason. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. Thanks again to Leslie Ballard. And until next time, goodbye.